It has been great being back together again for worship. I didn't know how much I missed it and missing you. None of us really know how long we're going to be doing some version of social distancing. And so rather than stay isolated, we want to stay connected. And certainly we'll continue to do that digitally using all the technology available to us. But what we want to do also is figure out all the ways that we can have proximity to each other. And so to do that, we're certainly complying with all the protocols. But at the same time, we don't want to be so cautious that we become fearful. We want to be faithful. And so part of our faith is finding every way we can, not to work around, but to work through a very difficult situation. And so join us in that, to practice safe distancing and behaviors without robbing ourselves of the joy of being together as God's people. Come visit, come worship, come see what we're doing, and uh, look forward to seeing you when you do that. I come out of agreement with the lie that you had left me on my own. Oh, I'm not alone. I come out of agreement with the worry and the fear I've come to know. No, they won't have a hold on me. Protector, you never, never, never Trust you with my heart. I come into agreement with what heaven has declared over my life. Cause I know that you fight for me.
Welcome to worship at La Jolla Community Church. Delighted you are here on this beautiful weekend as we continue our series on the good life according to God. Now, if somebody came up to you and said, could you please tell me what the good life is? And if you said to them, well, the good life is solid achievement, hard work, and sheer dogged endurance. I'm guessing uh, you'd feel pretty good about yourself with that answer, and they would say, wow, yeah, okay. And I'm also guessing that if you asked everybody you know to give you some feedback on that, and you said, look, here's my working definition of how to get to the good life, what success looks like, what excellence looks like, uh, what living into your fullest potential looks like, it would be solid achievement, hard work, and sheer dogged endurance. I'm guessing most people would say, yes, exactly. What they might not realize is that you have just given them the content of 1 Thessalonians 1.3. 1 Thessalonians 1.3 says, We are always thankful as we pray for you all. For we never forget that your faith has meant solid achievement. Your love has meant hard work. And the hope that you have in Christ Jesus our Lord has meant sheer dogged endurance in the life that you live before God, the Father of us all. That's pretty profound, isn't it? That the working functional definition of the good life is right there in Scripture. And why would we be surprised? Because uh, that's what the Word of God is. It's telling us what we would not know otherwise, that God wants us to know about who He is, uh, what the purpose of life is, what our place in the larger purpose uh, of life is, so that we can live uh, a good life, in every sense of the word, a good life. Now, the setting here is that uh, Paul writes this letter about 51 AD uh, to the church in Thessalonica, northern Greece, in the area we call Macedonia. And the, the church is thriving, and yet they're getting some serious pushback. Uh, it started as a group of Jews, uh, embracing Jesus as Messiah, uh, Israel's hope, uh, the one who would redeem uh, Israel and, and fulfill God's promise to Abram. Uh, a, a number of Gentiles have responded to that message that we call the good news, the gospel. And so now this group of Jews and Gentiles are thriving in their faith, but they're getting pushback from fellow Jews saying, hey, I'm not sure that's the case that Jesus is the Messiah. And then from the Romans saying, well, what do you mean there's a Lord, not Caesar? Caesar is the Lord. Anybody else is a usurper and a threat to the Roman Empire. So they're getting some pushback. And so Paul says to them, we are so thankful. We can't get you out of our head because your faith produces this solid achievement. Your love motivates you to hard work. And this hope that you have in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, equips you with sheer dogged endurance as you live out the good life that comes from our Lord, the Father of us all. Profound. Well, there's three points I want to touch on this morning. The first is this, that living the good life according to God thrives in faith, hope, and love. You notice that the words faith, hope, and love uh, are in that passage, in the order of faith, uh, love, hope. Does that sound familiar? Of course it does, uh, because we know from 1 Corinthians 13, the most popular a chapter in the Bible. People who don't believe in Jesus, don't know the Bible, have heard this at a thousand and one weddings they've attended. Faith, hope, and love. 
these three abide. The greatest of these is love. So here's Paul, probably the early version, since this is written before his letter to the Corinthians. Uh, he got the order a little bit better in Corinthians. Faith, hope, and love rolls off the tongue a bit more mellifluously and smoothly. But here he is talking about faith, hope, and love. And so we're seeing that living the good life according to God thrives in faith, hope, and love. Not wishful thinking, luck, fate. I hope it all comes together and goes well. He's saying it's all grounded in this. And as we've seen in this series, the good life uh, is what we're made for and yearn for. Everybody yearns for the good life. If you drop into any culture, anywhere in the world, and you start asking people in their language through an interpreter, uh, what is the good life? You're going to hear some really neat responses. Well, the good life for me is having access to water. The good life for me is having uh, hunting uh, opportunities. The good life for me is, you can hear all these things. And so from a very undeveloped place to a very hyperdeveloped place, you can hear some really interesting takes on the good life. We all yearn for the good life. And yet the frustration for us is that how elusive it is. Just when you think you're zeroing in on the good life, you're attaining the good life, something else pops up that, pops up that would make for a better good life. If I only had if I had this, then I'd be happy. If this would come to pass, oh my gosh, then life would be so much better. Right? We all yearn for the good life, and for the most part, it's just out of reach. Because even when we have attained what at one point would have represented the ultimate good life for us, all of a sudden now we realize perhaps there's more. We're always restless about that, something more. And so the good life is rooted in faith, hope, and love. Paul's telling us something more you're hoping for, yearning for, is Jesus. God himself has come into the world to root us, to anchor us uh, in faith, hope, and love. And so that's why Paul can say we're always thankful as we pray for you. We, we never forget you. Your faith has meant solid achievement. Your love has meant hard work. The hope that you have in our Lord Jesus Christ means you have the capacity for staying power, sheer, dogged endurance in the good life that you live before God, our Father. Which brings us to the second point. If the first point is this, living the good life according to God thrives in faith, hope, and love, then the second point is this, living the good life is living in authentic personal relationship with God. If these things come from Him, well then being in relationship with Him is how you access them a personal relationship with God. This, in some ways, has been trivialized in the church and beyond the church. Oh, my personal relationship with God. In some ways, reduces God to being a valet. I'll take the car now. Uh, I'd like another drink, thanks. Oh, while you're there, could you pick up? Or it's personal as in, I've reduced God to something so small that I can control it. It's my God in a box, as one person called it. Or it sounds like it's exclusive. My personal God. You have no access to Him. The Bible talks about a personal relationship with God. It's saying something that we were all created for, and that unless we move from simply wondering about God, hoping for God, resenting God, whatever we might be thinking, knowing about God, once, uh, until we move to that place where we actually know God, there's no deep, authentic relationship. So to say you have a personal relationship with God is a confession of faith, not a boast. It's persistently seeking uh, to honor God, to recognize God, 
to respond to God and to bless people by living in His grace. This is the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself is the second great commandment. This is what we're made for, that strong vertical relationship with God, very personal, scary close personal, and that strong horizontal horizontal relationship, again, a kind of a scary close relationship with people. By the way, this is the most effective way to navigate the uncertainties of our present time. If you think about what is the through line in this crazy time in which we're living, you start with COVID, uh, navigating that, uh, dealing with that, the uncertainties, the threats, the fears that come with that. Uh, How about our political situation? It feels inherently right now unstable, unpredictable. It's a mess. Uh, When you look at where we are socially as a nation, the social upheaval, perhaps it's it's a harbinger of something good to come. But for the most part right now, it just feels absolutely disruptive and chaotic. How about the impact of COVID on the economy? People losing their jobs, losing income. Kids not being able to go to school. Athletes not being able to play their sport. All of it together uh, makes for a very overwhelming, uh, destabilizing time for all of us. So what's the through line? The through line is this. A personal relationship with God is the most effective way to navigate the uncertainties of our present time. Not by going into la-la land and saying, oh, I'm just going to focus on God and, and forget all this, but rather saying, I have a purpose. I have a promise from God that He is with me and for me always. He's in me. That's how personal this gets and how powerful it gets. God is in me through His Holy Spirit. As I focus on Him, my faith becomes a solid achievement. My love becomes an expression of hard work because I care so much. And my hope is, is reflected in this sheer dogged endurance. And so as I'm moving through, I'm completely aware of everything going on around me in my time and in my place. But my hope, the certainty of where I'm going is not in my present circumstances. It's that God is present with me in my circumstances. And so if the first point is that we thrive in faith, hope, and love, it's the second point that makes that possible, a personal relationship with God. Do you have a personal relationship with God? That is, have you literally, um, out loud or in your mind, in your heart, said, Lord, I receive you into my life. I confess my absolute need for your absolute grace. I want to trust you. I want to be in a relationship with you. Having said that, having done that, maybe you've already done that. Maybe you've never done that. And now you simply want to formalize that right now. By having done that and doing that, you're saying, I'm in. I want to be in a relationship. I'm not putting putting limits or conditions on that relationship. I'm simply open to God, leading and guiding me through my life so that I won't miss it, so that I will be able to honor Him and glorify Him and bless people in the process. And at the end of my life, I'll be able to say, that was a really good life. By the way, counseling helps. (laughs) Maybe you're dealing with some big, big issues, some fears, some disconnects internally and around you in relationships. Uh, Are you living to love God and people or control God and people? Uh, If you're trying to control God, you're going to resent God because God cannot be controlled. Uh, Likewise, if you try to control people, Uh, you will resent people because people aren't easy to control. And when you do control people, you destroy them. Or at least you destroy the relationship with them. Perhaps you're you're persistently trying to remain noncommittal. 
toward God and toward people. I'm sorry, that doesn't work. That's not good. In fact, that's deadly. If you're not committed to God, you're at risk and you're vulnerable. And your soul will die. If you're not committing to people, it's risky and deadly as well. Your soul will wither on the way to dying. So confess and repent. You might be a believer saying, yeah, I'm at cross purposes with God and people. Confess. Lord, here's where I am with people. Here's where I am with you. You confess. You acknowledge. You own it. And repenting simply means you turn toward Him and say, so Lord, I'm seeking you. And it's often really helpful to seek a counselor, a paid professional, a Christ-centered, licensed, competent counselor to help you process those issues. That's not an admission of, fa- of failure and defeat. That's an expression of your desire to grow and thrive, to understand how faith could result in solid achievement, love could result in hard work, that hope could be expressed in sheer dogged endurance, staying power. Your soul is at stake, and your influence on other souls is at stake. So take this very seriously. So that brings us to the third point. If the first is that uh, this relationship with God in, in the good life thrives in faith, hope, and love, the second point being that it's personal, to God and to us. The third uh, point is this. Living the good life is embracing and actively then expressing God's goodness in us. Because the whole point of the good life is reflecting the goodness of God in our life. And our intentions to be good are, are wonderful, but they always fall short. We all want to be good, better than we are. And as much as we try, we find that, ah, I don't seem to have the capacity to pull it off. It's when God brings His goodness into our life, having made us for relationship with Him, having given us the capacity to to respond to goodness and His in particular and express it in practical ways, it starts to come together. I love the way uh, the prophet Micah said it. He has shown you what is good. He, God, Micah is saying, God has shown you. He's shown us what is good. He's defined goodness for us. And what does the Lord require of us? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. So justice, uh, ultimately it's fairness. Uh, Loving mercy is kindness. Humility is EQ, having a right understanding of who I am and, 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 and the right regard and respect for other people. So God's goodness Uh, is reflected in His character and released in us, uh, producing the good life in us. So it's the very presence of God, the character of God, shaping our characters that allows us to receive and move from uh, good intentions to actually being able to receive the goodness of God, practice it, understand it, be disciplined in it, and then express that in every relationship we encounter in life. So we become more aware, we become more wise, we become more loving, discerning, decisive even. We can say yes and we can say no. Why? Because we know. We know how to discern good from evil, better from best. And when we're stuck saying, gee, either of these is really good, I think God is supportive of either one, we get to make a decision and, and we get to pray, Lord, lead me and guide me. We get to seek wise counsel. Hey, what do you guys think? And all of a sudden, uh, in this process of, of development in God's goodness, we're empowered to be wise and discerning and more decisive. We can say yes, and we can say no. 
And if we find that we, with more data, uh, more understanding, we need to reverse that, we can do that. Not by being equivocal, but being wise and discerning. Because life isn't linear, is it? If you're sailing a boat, you're dealing with currents and waves, wind, other factors. And so to be wise is that you're saying, I'm going to make a decision, I'm, I'm going to commit. And as I get more information, I'll adjust that. I'll adjust my strategy. And so what does God's Word say is a question we want to ask. What does God's Word say? Uh, what will honor Him? What will bless people? What, in this situation, this circumstance, is the best way to honor and glorify God? What's the best way to bless, benefit people? And then we process our feelings and our motives. We seek wise counsel and we pray much. We have good boundaries. We're not confused about who we are. And when we are confused about who we are, uh, we seek wise counsel to get clear on who we are. Uh, but our boundaries allow us then to suffer and sacrifice and serve. We've talked about that previously in the series. And this is what Jesus did. Uh, Jesus is a role model for this. He prayed. He fasted even. So he could concentrate and focus on God's will for him. And he could process thoroughly some big decisions he was making. He wept. He was that involved. Uh, at one point he sweated blood. He was so present and was so aware of the immensity of his situation, specifically the situation uh, that required him to go to the cross. At one point, uh, he sweated blood, but he didn't quit. Of all the things he did do, the one thing he didn't do was quit. But he could have. He could have said, it's just not worth it. These people deserve what they, they have. It's a sinful, broken world. I made it good, and they messed it up, so I'm out. That's not what he said. That's not what he did. He said, not my will, but yours be done, Father. He wasn't pushing off a decision to God. Oh, you do it. Uh, it, 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 it sounds so spiritual to say, oh, God will take care of it. Uh, that's actually irresponsible. What is responsible is to say, Lord, I am torn with the immensity of this decision. I know what I'd like to do. I'd like to get out of this. I'd like to avoid uh, the hard work of love, the sacrifice, the suffering that's often involved in authentic, genuine love. But I will defer to you. I know this is what I committed to. I know this is your will to bless the world, to redeem the world. Not my will done, but yours be done. That's a powerful place to be. To be. As a spouse, saying this to your spouse, I know what I want to do, but I understand what the right thing is to do and how it would bless you. I'm going to do that. For our children, for the community, Powerful, powerful, powerful expressions of goodness. So sheer dogged endurance, that hope that's rooted uh, in the Lord, that represents a good life in Him, is courageously leaning into life like Jesus did. Now it's easy to say, well, I'm not Jesus, so I'm not obligated to do that. Well, of course you're not obligated. And we really lack the capacity. Jesus was fully God, fully man, perfect in every way. But because Jesus is now in us, and we are now in Him, and we're rooted and anchored and thriving in faith, hope, and love, and the goodness of God is working out day by day into our thoughts, our attitudes, and our behaviors, we do aspire to do the things that Jesus did. Not to earn our salvation, but to express the salvation He is giving us. So let me tell you a story. This really happened. Two people enter a movie theater, and uh, actually a series of two people, 
uh, sometimes it was uh, a couple friends, sometimes it was a date, a guy and a girl dating, sometimes it was a man and a woman, a married couple coming in to the theater. In any case, they had their snacks, their popcorn, or drinks, and they entered into the dark theater, and they walked down the ramp as the stadium seating is on their right, and as they turn the corner and look into the theater, there's 150 seats. 148 of those seats are filled with a bunch of bad-looking dudes, some mean characters, because they're, they're looking mean. They have, a, they have a serious, stern, sort of threatening and intimidating look on their face. Not quite scowling, but just looking like, what are you doing here? It, it felt like to these people, this is a biker reunion or something. I'm in the wrong room. And yet it's a theater. I've got my ticket, so what do I do? Uh, and so in that theater, as they scan, first of all, they see this, the crowd. They're scanning the crowd. And they look, and there's two seats right in the middle of this a crowd of people. Now some people start tentatively walking up and then as they continue to process the group that they're looking at, they say, oh no, and, and, and a couple will scurry out. Others will just, as soon as they turn and see, oh no. But see, the course uh, of this event uh, that is replayed over and over again, every once in a while, a couple will say, Wow, this is overwhelming. They might consult, see what do you think. And they walk in and they sit in the scary seats. Now when the other couples left, the bad dudes would just smirk. But when these couples, these rare couples would say, oh, I'm going to go sit there, they'd look at each other and smile. Small, little smile, subtle. And then when the couples actually made their way, going through you know, the line, because these guys weren't moving for them, so they had to step around them, step over them, and make their way to their seat. Once they sat in the seat, all of a sudden a beam of light shone on them, a spotlight. And then the room erupts in cheering and laughter and applause as, as the lights in the whole theater come on and the whole group of men surrounding these two people uh, are cheering them on. And at the same time, uh, from each side of these people, they're handed a Carlsberg beer. Because this is a Carlsberg beer commercial. You don't realize it until this happens. And the, the theme of this commercial is courage and celebrating courage. And so every couple who overcame the intimidation and the fear and the uncertainty of walking into that room and taking that seat was celebrated. Everyone who did that was celebrated. Well, uh, I had never seen the commercial. The commercial was made 11 years ago, or not, excuse me, nine years ago, 2011, in Brussels, at the home of Carlsberg Beer, I guess. Uh, and so I, and I'm watching this. A friend of mine sent it to me uh, last uh, week, over a week ago. And, and so I'm cracking up. It's so funny. 30 seconds of just genius uh, commercial making. And as I was laughing, all of a sudden I got all choked up. And my eyes filled with tears. I'm on my own watching this thing on, on my phone. And I'm thoroughly choked up on the verge of tears. Why? I've just been laughing at this commercial, the brilliance of it. Because I started thinking about a couple I know. A couple I know and respect facing the most difficult situation in their life. An incredibly capable, both of them, highly gifted, highly talented, uh, productive. Uh, the guy who I've known for 35 years, uh, is a celebrated leader, author, 
speaker, it's just an amazing guy, an incredible couple. But they are enduring an extremely unfair, nightmarish, unending public ordeal. I won't go into all the details. Maybe some other time I will tell you about this couple. Uh, but it's heartrending what they're going through. At every level, it's, a, it's, it's, it's sad, 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 sad. And really, uh, at the end of the day, they haven't done anything wrong. It's just a crazy situation. But they're the epitome of this passage, 1 Thessalonians 1.3. Faith, hope, and love. And I was moved so deeply because right now they're choosing the scary seats. They could be looking at this situation and all the, the, the pain that they're experiencing and all the public humiliation that, that is being forced on them, all the heartbreak. Uh, they could just walk away. Or they could fight. But what they're doing is they're leaning in. And they're going up obediently and they're sitting in those scary seats saying, okay, Lord, what do you have for us? So that's what made, moved me uh, so deeply was their courage, their sheer, dogged endurance. So consistent with their faith, so consistent with their love for as long as I've known them. They're living courageously in Christ by sheer, dogged endurance. And so I asked the question, how about you? What circumstances, what situations are you facing that require you to maybe sit in the scary seat? Dealing perhaps with a failure. Uh, perhaps dealing with nothing of your own making, but something that is so close to you that uh, you're going to lean in and be present in a situation that's uncomfortable, painful, or perhaps heartbreaking for you, inconvenient, unpleasant. I don't know. Are you standing with one foot in the room and one foot toward the exit? Or are you saying, I'm going to sit in the scary seats and, and see where this goes. I'm going to be present to this. Uh, it's the way less traveled. It's the narrow gate to a clearly marked but very narrow pathway. It's a hard choice that much more surprise, delight, or relief may lead to a party. Probably not. We won't know that. And Jesus said a small gate and a narrow path leads to life and only a few take it. This is such a stunning example of that. You can't really miss it. This path is marked with his cross and it has your name on it. But it's small enough that you can just pass it by. Too insignificant. I'm not going to go that way. I don't know where that goes. Uh, I'm not going to go there. Because with you, when you walk with Jesus in faith, hope, and love, though He guides you in the good life, it's a scary, sometimes very, very lonely walk with a lot of second-guessing along the way. Why did I do this? Why did I commit to this? Is it worth it? We second-guess ourselves, and other people second-guess us. Why did you do that? Why are you doing that? It could be so much easier if you had done something else. And you don't know when the lights will shine. You don't know when the cheers will erupt and a party will be thrown in your honor. With people who were intimidating at one moment, now they're absolutely supportive and celebrating you. Uh, perhaps that will never happen in this life. But eventually it will, and it will all be worth it. You see, that's the beautiful thing about this good life, according to God. We can trust Him all the way through this life that we're living, knowing that with all the challenges along the way, all the setbacks, all the starts and all the stops, 
all, all those rabbit trails that we get off on and have to come back to the main trail. It all leads us to a good life. It's a good life all along the way, circumstances notwithstanding. And ultimately, it's not only just a good life, it's the best life. It's a life of faith, hope, and love, rooted in a personal relationship with the living God whose goodness fills us and transforms us. And not only blessing us, but blessing people through us. And that is a reason to celebrate. Hang in there. Maybe God's speaking to you right now about an issue you need to deal with. Listen carefully. Perhaps what he's saying to you is, hey, I love you. Trust me. Walk with me. Maybe he's saying to you, now it's time for you to give yourself to me. Get off the fence. Commit. Receive me as Lord and Savior. Start believing in me. Or continue believing in me. Or come back to me having walked away from me. Or trust me as I work in you and through you in this very difficult situation. It won't make sense to you now, but it will uh, down the road. When the lights go on and the party starts. This is the good life. Now and forever. So Lord Jesus, I thank you for inviting us to walk with you on this path. That narrow gate. Sometimes causing us to sit in some very scary seats among very scary people and situations. But Lord, we know we can trust you and that your goodness will transform us and will even transform this world. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you as you face some big situations in your life or you walk with people who are facing big situations in theirs. May the Lord shine his face on you May the Lord's love empower you. May you have sheer dogged endurance knowing that God is with you and no one and no thing can separate you from him. You belong to him both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.